Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. This episode of Telltales is brought to you by Topmark Capital. They're not your typical hedge fund. They use a blend of best practices from value investing, venture capital, and private equity, which gives them a unique perspective on market dynamics. And the results truly speak for themselves. So... If you're a qualified investor who's looking for an innovative, emerging manager who truly understands the dynamics of the market and how to deliver impressive returns, visit topmarkcapital.com to learn more. And now, back to the show. Okay. We're going to do the exhibits and then we're going to switch to page one. Nothing too much on oil except to say that the Saudi withdrawal of a million barrels a day, voluntary withdrawal of a million barrels a day over and above the OPEC plus numbers has clearly had an impact. The problem is, if you look on exhibit C, is that surplus capacity keeps climbing and that's not good. That's a potential risk because the fact that oil's at 80 and not 60 is because that surplus capacity C was Estimated 2.4 million barrels in 22, but 3.9 in 23. And it's okay so far, but the next time these statistics are done by our EIA, China's a question mark. You know, will, they, will you really get 800,000 barrels of growth in China given they're being in more, pretty much in a recession? And, you know, and there may be some other declines in demand. So, so far, Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, who have the surplus capacity, are managing things pretty well. If you turn to Exhibit B, you can see that the near price is 80, but when you get out to 25, it's 73. That backwardation shows that the supply-demand balance is, uh, is being helped by the Saudis being pretty pretty disciplined. The thing to think about is they lose a million barrels a day, which is 350 million barrels a year at, you know, $80. That's it's $40 billion. Do they, on the remainder of their barrels, do they make enough to come out ahead? But so far, so good. On natural gas, the heat, which prevails in Texas and has now moved up into the middle of the country, so it's reached as far north as Chicago, has not caused gas prices to go up. Generally, when electricity gets to 50 or $60 per megawatt hour, gas gets to 5 or $6. That just hasn't happened in Texas. And we'll know in the next couple of days, looking at the statistics, I don't think it's happening in the middle of the country. What that means is two things. There's surplus storage. It also means that dry gas production of 101 estimated for 23 is probably a little low. I'm going to try to update all these numbers this weekend. 
the main culprit here is increased production. In 2020, production was 90 bees a day. It's 101 now. That's 11 bees increase in three years. That overwhelms the increase in LNG. LNG was seven in 20, and it's now 13. So 11 is more than six. Everything else is kind of flat. Fortunately, power demand is up by about three bees a day. Otherwise, we'd be in worse shape. So I think when these numbers have a 350 estimate for 24, which is about where the strip is, and a $4 estimate for 25, which is about where the forward strip is, I think those numbers are going to come down when we redo these demand supply numbers. On the U.S. government revenues and expenses, this is going to be in the news a lot because uh, there are 12 expenditure bills that the House initiates and then the Senate passes their own version. Only one has been done. I think it's the defense bill. They all have to get done by September 30th. Otherwise, the government cannot spend money in the next fiscal year. The Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and the Majority Leader in the Senate have uh, agreed to extend it to the beginning of December. But it looks as though McCarthy cannot get that agreement through his caucus. So it, it looks as though the extension to provide time get those other 11 bills done is going to be extended for two weeks and then renewed every two weeks. So this cash flow statement for the federal government is going to be in the news quite a lot starting in late September. I, I know I say this every Wednesday, but the spending away from defense and Medicare and Social Security and interest and whatnot in pre-COVID was $910 billion. And this year it will be a trillion four. That's five hundred million, five hundred billion dollar increase. Some significant part of that five hundred billion has to be reduced. Really doesn't matter where you are, which side of the political spectrum you are. It just needs to happen. Mike, Jason, anything else to add? Keep our eyes wide open there. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's start with developments in AI since uh, NVIDIA is going to report their earnings about five minutes after we terminate this call. The NVIDIA page is page three. When last looking at this in July, I ramped the NVIDIA revenue up to $40 billion, which is a lot compared to what they have been doing, and the free cash flow to eleven. Their forecasts out there that go as high as, you know, within the next 12 or 18 months, the NVIDIA will be doing $80 billion of revenues. Uh, Mike and Jason have had a close look at this, and I want to speak for them, but I, uh, I, I think they both, in trying to ascertain how much GPUs and other equipment will be sold, they're both way over an annual rate of $40 billion. But over to you first, Mike, what's a reasonable expectation which you may want to revise after you see their second quarter earnings but and forecast for the third quarter. But what, what do you think is reasonable now in terms of a revenue rate for NVIDIA? Uh, let me quickly just do a wind check here. Put my finger in the air. can't see me, but I'll <laughs> so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take a gander. Um, we, we do know that 
NVIDIA has increased the amount of wafers that they're able to get from Taiwan Semiconductor, which was previously their bottleneck. Uh, it seems pretty clear that at the current moment, demand cannot be met with current supply. Historically, NVIDIA goes through these waves of not having enough supply or having too much. That goes for gaming GPUs, and it also today goes for data center GPUs. You know, being level-headed about this, we, we expect that that factor in this business hasn't changed. So the question is, how long will they be constrained in supply, and how much more capacity can the market bear? None of those we have clear answers for. However, so we, we do think 2024 could easily be a $60 billion year. You'll have to go out another year or so to get to 80. So gross margin should get better and operating margin should get better. Again, these are their highest margin products. Again, they're meeting insatiable demand. So they're, they're in a fantastic position. In fact, the revenue is growing so fast, they couldn't even increase their sales and marketing and R&D expenditure. It would be infeasible for them to hire at a rate that would keep up with the sales growth. So it should look like a good quarter. The company guided $11.5 billion for the current quarter, which we'll find out how it goes right after this call. The real question, the thing that everybody's going to be looking for, is what's the guidance for next quarter? It very well could be closer to 15. It's probably going to be somewhere between 11.5 and 15. And it's likely going to be constrained by wafer supply, and I would expect that he talks through that on the call as well. So how does that boil down to free cash flow? It still makes the company not cheap, but we, we ran through the exercise of if they were doing 80. Would that be somewhere between 30 and 40 of free cash flow, do you think, at 80? Yeah, realistically, yeah. Realistically, it's probably below 40. I came up with 45, which is high because we're assuming higher R&D and SG&A. So it so, might even be within 25 times free cash flow based on $80 billion of revenues. It's not out of the question. Yeah. Hey, hey, Jason, what could go wrong here? What, what, what could cause this rosy outlook to be yeah. disappointing? Yeah, I, I think getting above $80 billion in sales is, is a challenge within the next year and a half, two years, call it. Just looking at supply that Taiwan Semiconductor is going to be able to give them. I mean, we do know NVIDIA is reaching out to Samsung again to, to see if they can get more wafer capacity there. But as of today, Taiwan Semiconductor is meeting their production. They roughly said they're going to try to double their production for NVIDIA. And if NVIDIA is doing 11 a quarter this quarter with, with their current rate with Taiwan Semiconductor and they just double that, you know, that's going to put them around 80 for a 24 number. That's a good thing to talk through because I think it's not totally clear what the timeline is to turn these on. Yeah, it's 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 not a quick process. Fabs are extremely complicated factories for semiconductors and retooling it for a different chip is is a is a complicated process and, and requires a lot of vendors like ASML and AM Research. It requires a lot of these kind of companies to produce their machines to add to the fabs. Um, it's a years long process to build a new one, uh, but Taiwan Semiconductor is going to be able to repurpose some existing lines as they shift production around as Apple moves to the cutting edge every, every time. But there's, 
there's a bottleneck there where AMD wants to be on that same on that same uh, node and many other companies as well. So Taiwan Semiconductor is really in a great spot, probably. They, they though, when they announced their results, they predicted a, a weaker second half. But I guess they're impacted across the line by other customers that causes their their revenue to be lower. Right, right. NVIDIA is just, I want to say it was 6% of their business. The majority of their business is the trailing edge fab uh, or the trailing edge node chips. So these are these are your more commodity things that go into TVs and, and microcontrollers and that sort of thing. Demands really come down there as well as with cell phones and, and PCs. So that's still the majority of their business. And that's, you know, nothing's changed there. That's still declining. Yeah, the competition from China on the trailing edge shouldn't be ignored. We think China is running a strategy to corner the market, if you will, in trailing edge chips. It's where they're allowed to play currently based on what the government has decided what they can purchase. And so far they're competing. And you see that in in Taiwan Semiconductor's results. And ASML's. They're they're buying yeah <laughs> yeah they're buying everything they're, they're buying everything they can get there as well right right another AI impacted company is Microsoft which is on page two and they have this product called Copilot and I think Mike and Jason think that Copilot's going to very quickly have a lot of users I mean I I don't know fifty million users or something that. Microsoft is a very large company, and they have a lot of revenue. I mean, they have 200 million of revenue a year, but just a high portion of their people use Office products or window products. Taking this Copilot thing, I mean, you could have a 20, 30 billion dollar increase in their revenues. Is that within the realm of rational kind of prediction, or Jason, or what do you think about Copilot? Yeah, we, we did some rough math and, and came up with a $30 billion number. Um, $30 billion free cash flow. Yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> we didn't count the cost of the GPUs to support that, right. but it's a large incremental number. Mm-hmm. Right. Jason, one of the articles I saw said that the other place to get GPUs was with Google. This is over on page one. I mean, is, is it possible that that could become a significant source of cash flow for them, or is it just kind of incidental that they designed a GPU and made some and may have more than they need for their own data centers? Yeah, well, so so they they call theirs a TPU, Tensor Processing Unit, and and when they originally developed it, they're up to version five and working on six now. But but when they created version one, it was when NVIDIA was still primarily building GPUs for the purpose of graphics. Google knew they needed an AI chip, so that's what they set out to design. Um, and since then, NVIDIA, is, as we know, has become a more of a data center AI processor business. So roughly they've, they've kept in line and performance-wise, but historically Al- Alphabet has not sold those outside of just you being able to rent one in Google's cloud. So... They still haven't said anything that, that they're going to change strategy there. So you can you can technically buy one and lease it for its several year lifespan, but you you can't 
you can't today currently buy one and, and install it in your own data center. And I, I don't, I don't think that's going to change, but that being said, you can, you can absolutely rent a cluster in Google cloud, just the same as you can in, in AWS. And they're, and they're really, you know, they're, they're really pushing that, that product, obviously all the, all the hyperscalers are. It's a big lead gen for the data center product, right? Cause if, if previously it was very difficult to get a new customer, like a Fortune 500 customer to switch from, it is still very difficult to switch from AWS to Google Cloud. Maybe they can use this as a carrot to help entice getting people to switch over. The trouble is, is there's just a lot more engineers that are trained up on AWS than there are on Google. So you're sort of shooting yourself in the foot from a recruitment and hiring strategy perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and one, one thing Mike and I said the biggest risk to NVIDIA is they can't meet the demand fast enough. So that may as also drive people into the Google Cloud to rent TPUs. You know, NVIDIA's supply is booked out until Q2 of next year. Does Amazon, this again on page four, finally got to the point where they have free cash flow? I think you people have done, the two of you have done an analysis that shows more than $15 billion of free cash flow now but that CapEx line came down. Will they have to install GPUs in their existing data centers and build new data centers and get back into a situation where they don't have free cash flow because their CapEx is so high? Or, or do you think a, a level of 50 billion or so of, free ca- of, of CapEx at Amazon is enough to accommodate whatever AWS needs as well as the logistics to try to do same-day delivery almost everywhere? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that their push in AI hasn't really come yet. I think that their next generation of silicon, Amazon silicon, is going to be more specifically tuned to compete with NVIDIA. Now, they will always offer NVIDIA GPUs at AWS. They're currently astronomically expensive just because there's so few of them relative to the customer base. But I think that Amazon believes that their real opportunity is like Google to have their own silicon. Again, they want the vendor lock-in. They want the commoditized software and the vendor lock-in and the data stored where they are. Mm-hmm. And it, I might just add a little bit of background. So when Google developed the TPU, they they have these huge use cases that are well-defined. You know, when you search Google, they're going to, they're going to select which ads get shown to you. When you watch a video on YouTube, they're going to recommend the next video you should watch based on that. These, these use cases don't change, and they have billions of use, uh, billion, they're, they're used billions of times. So they're going to design hardware that meets that function specifically. And, and Amazon has the same case. They have these products, these prepackaged databases, prepackaged recommender engines, and, and the like that, that they allow you to buy on AWS and the, the hardware underneath is going to be optimized for those. But like Mike said, you, you can rent an NVIDIA GPU server and train it for whatever specific use you have. But at the hyperscaler level, it, it definitely makes sense to, to design your own chip for your own, um, your own product. Turning over to page seven, we're uh, with Mike and Jason's advice and Vivian's trying to do enough information. So I update two pages a weekend. One of the pages got updated last weekend was page seven. 
which is MasterCard, Visa, and PayPal. And PayPal had never had very impressive results. MasterCard and Visa seemed to just, they just seemed to steam along and increase their free cash flow by 8 or 10% a year. They sell for about 25 or 30 times free cash flow. Uh, the other people have come into the payments business, including PayPal, tend to use their systems. And I was talking to Mike this morning. I mean, the PayPal numbers look a little better to me from a cash flow point of view this go-round. But Mike will speak now about the competition that PayPal and other payments entities face. And, you know, MasterCard and Visa seem to just dominate so that the other, the other payments companies tend to go in and use the Visa uh, structure or the MasterCard structure rather than develop their own. But over to you, Mike. Yeah, I, I think this is a, the payments industry is really interesting because the competitive strategy is different for these companies. MasterCard and Visa are proprietary networks where they essentially operate as a monopoly. Companies like PayPal and Square and Stripe and Audion pay them to process transactions on the networks. Those are very durable businesses. The end arounding those businesses is very difficult. PayPal, Square, Stripe, Audion are all payment processors in slightly different forms. PayPal is interesting because they have some network effects. And the network effect is if I have PayPal and you have PayPal, we can send each other money on PayPal. The nice thing about that business for PayPal is, is they don't pay you an interest rate for your balance there. The average balance at PayPal is something like $450, which was, I, I read that yesterday or this morning and I was shocked. But, you know, that's in, in a higher interest rate environment, PayPal is making some money on that. So that's a nice little business. Square also has a similar product called the Cash App. Venmo is a PayPal product, so Venmo is PayPal. So those companies all have these sort of niche, proprietary network effect businesses. Audion is more of a pure payment processor, more similar to Stripe. You may have, you probably don't interact with Stripe, but Stripe is a product that a software developer can use to very quickly get up and running with payment processing. The downside is, is it's relatively expensive. They charge, I don't know, 30 cents plus 2.9% for payment processing, which is essentially the, the highest fees one would ever pay. But the advantage is, is it's really, it's really fast and easy to get going. What's happening now versus what was happening in 2020 and 2021 is all of these e-commerce businesses and different online businesses that are using these products Instead of focusing on growth, they're focusing on costs. So when you focus on costs and you look at your payment processing, you may look at Stripe and say, wow, why am I paying so much money to Stripe to process my transactions? You might not have been worried about that as you were trying to fill orders as fast as possible. But in today's environment, things are a little different. So you're seeing more competition in this space. And at the end of the day, for a larger business, it's an undifferentiated product. If, you, if you're Uber processing tons of transactions, you don't care that Stripe's easier to implement. 
what you care about is what's your total lowest cost. So this company, Adyen, is essentially the stripe of Europe, but more focused on larger customers, more cost conscious. They just reported earnings and the stock fell almost in half, mainly because they've, the, the belief was they were going to enter the U.S. market and do what they did in Europe. But the reality is the U.S. market is more competitive than the European market. They were able to win in Europe by making it easy to process payments and pay taxes in any European Union country. In the U.S., they are forced to compete on price. And the general consensus is that the U.S. market is going to be, call it, uh, you know, it's the opposite of blue ocean theory. It's uh, it's bloody red water um, <laughs> as, as these companies fight to the bottom, right? So the only thing that's really left of these companies that's really interesting is the PayPal peer-to-peer payments network and maybe the Square Cash app, but everything else sort of seems interchangeable. Right. Jason, do you see any any potential at PayPal? After all, this is where Elon Musk started. Are you just better off if you're interested in knowing a payments company and owning Visa or MasterCard? Yeah, I, I think the latter. Not super interested in the payment processors. Like Mike said, they're fighting to the bottom and and how much value is in in owning Venmo. I didn't know that the average person keeps $450 in there. If I had $1, I'd transfer it out. It made me go and check my balance. I said, well, how much do I have in there? Uh, 60 cents. (laughs) (laughs) Just one other thing before we break. Page 17 got updated and FedEx and UPS are on this page. I said to Mike this morning, I said, geez, UPS looks better to me than FedEx and UPS just did a new agreement with their union with higher rates. And Mike quite appropriately said that through cash flow of $9 billion that I figure in UPS may be dinged by that labor agreement, which is true. But they both do the same amount of revenue, around $90 billion. But UPS brings about $9 billion down to free cash flow and FedEx does about three. The other two companies, which are add-ons on this page, Nike and Costco are, uh, you know, they're from the Pacific Northwest. I guess you could say that Nike's, you know, been struggling a bit. It is has this incredible long-term record. Costco, some people, you know, lots of people think they're the best retailer, better than anyone. But they too, you know, they still have sales growth, but they're having a time getting getting the sales growth down to free cash flow. And like a lot of these retailers, I mean, Costco does $220 billion of revenue, but only $5 billion of free cash flow. So it's not that it isn't a great company, has been a great company, will continue to be a great company, but it's 50 times free cash flow with or 40 times free cash flow with not much free cash flow growth. So there we are. We always say uh, be well and stay healthy and don't obsess too much over the NVIDIA earnings. I'm sure that. I'm sure that the world will survive if they disappoint. And if they're stronger, that'll be good for not just NVIDIA, but for other companies. Take care. We'll talk next Wednesday. Bye-bye.
The views expressed on this podcast are the host alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information, and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned.